0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Father, as we read your word, we just pray your blessing on it. We ask and pray for the listeners, God, that as they partake of this spiritual meal, that they would be nourished with spiritual truths that would not just bring information, but would bring transformation. Bless everyone here and those watching online, and I pray that we'd be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon told a story about a, a great king. He was overseeing this huge land, this huge castle, and he had many inhabitants in his kingdom. And one day there was a gardener that worked part of the king's land, and he had grown this carrot that was ginormous. It was the, the most amazing, juicy carrot you've ever had. How many of you like carrots, by the way? You know, your mama said you should eat more of those, right? So he brought the carrot to the king, And he said, as a token of my love and respect to the king, I give you this carrot. This is the best carrot I have ever grown or ever will be. Please take it as a token of my love. So as he walked away, the king extended his arm and said, wait a second. The king discerned that this man's heart was truly generous. He gave the best of what he had to the king. And he said, because of your love and because of your generosity, I'm going to give you land of your own. So it's no longer my land, but it's your land. And the the gardener whistled away, skipping and jumping, and was so excited to tell his family about their new land. So a nobleman was in the king's court that day and overheard what had been said. And the nobleman said within himself, if this is what someone gets for giving a carrot, imagine what a greater gift one would receive in return. So the next day he came and he bowed before the king and he had this beautiful black stallion. And he told the king, listen, I breed horses and this is the most finest, most lovely horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. And I want to give it to you as a token of my love and appreciation. And the king immediately discerned this man's heart and he said, thank you. And he dismissed the nobleman. The nobleman's head was down and he seemed so depressed. Tears were coming down his eyes and the king said, wait a second. And he explained something to the nobleman. He said, the gardener Truly cared and gave me a carrot. You did not care and you gave yourself a horse. And the the whole purpose behind that story is that generosity is so hard. The nobleman wanted to get something back. He wanted to get something greater back in return. The gardener, on the other hand, he gave with no strings attached. And I wonder as Christians if sometimes we give to God because we think God's going to give us something better in return. I wonder how many of us truly give with no strings attached, simply out of love, simply out of living a generous life. So today's message is called The Generous Life. And just out of curiosity, how many of you would like to be more generous in your life? You better raise your hand. (laughs) You know, nobody ever said, I want to be more stingy. You know, I'm looking for friends and the number one trend I'm looking for a friend is someone that's Stingy and someone that's a taker, right? No one ever said that, right? So today's passage, the little context, Paul is going to speak to the Ephesian elders. So these are church leaders. So while this is directly applicable to all pastors and leaders, what we're going to do is make a direct application for anyone that aspires to live a generous life. You can apply these principles and they will be true for you as well. So let's read Acts 20. This is a long passage um, over 20 verses, so hang in there with me. Verses 13 and following, it starts off. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there attending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, including him, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there and the next day to Chaos. The, the following day... We arrived at Samos and there stayed at Troglillium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sell past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So we read that and you're like, What in the world is this talking about? Well, easy way to apply this is like how many of you travel and take pictures? Almost everybody, right? And some of you that have travel journals you detail each, just out of curiosity, anybody detail every day on a trip? There's a few, right? So here's the thing, Luke is a doctor, and many doctors are very detailed. So Luke is giving this narrative of Paul's journey. The whole Acts, the whole book of Acts can kind of be summarized in God is moving the gospel from Jerusalem ...to the ends of the earth, which in that day would be Rome. It's Jerusalem to Rome. So that's where Paul's making his journey. All right, carry on in verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them... ...you know from the first day that I came to Asia... ...in what manner I lived among you... ...serving the Lord with all humility... ...with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews... How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So before we go to verse twenty five, Paul is basically saying, listen, because I've surrendered my life to Jesus as Lord, I've given my life like a blank check. And I know everywhere I go, people are trying to kill me, people are trying to throw me in jail. And as I head to Jerusalem, I don't know what's going to happen But I know that trials await me. But he said, I don't consider this. I don't take it to heart. And the only way you can say that is if you know Jesus as Lord. Like, I've given my life over. And no matter what happens, I've already surrendered my life to him. Verse 25. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day That I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You may want to underline that phrase. A lot of uh, Bible churches that go verse by verse, we, we emphasize this phrase. What is the whole counsel of God? We'll talk about that. Verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for all my necessities. And for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said. You may want to underline this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God bless his word. So before we go into the message, we've got to kind of look at the backdrop. Uh, The travel narrative, verses 13 through 16, paint The illustration and the story, what's happening, Paul is preparing to go to Jerusalem and he's going to Jerusalem. The goal is by the day of the celebration of the feast of Pentecost, he wants to celebrate that. But he said he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. Now, if you've been raised in church for any length of time, some of you maybe in your Sunday school class have heard this debate. Did Paul go because the spirit led him or was Paul stubborn and he went anyways? How many of you have ever had that debate in, in church before? I know my dad and I have discussed that. I fall on the side that Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. And even though prophets warn him not to go, that was a warning, not a prohibition. So sometimes God will warn you of something that's going to happen, even though you're called to do it anyways. So I want you to kind of put yourself in this congregation's shoes. Their pastor that they loved, Paul, he spent up to three years at Ephesus He's basically leaving. He's giving his farewell sermon to this group of elders. And he says, you'll never see my face again. So how would you like it if, if you know, one of your leaders, one of your pastors said, listen, I, I'm feeling called elsewhere. You'll never see me again. And I love you. God's going to protect you. But watch out for wolves that are going to come. I mean, it would be kind of emotional, right? How many of you would, would be tear, teary-eyed people? Raise your hand. How many of you would be like, God bless. Wish you well. More stoic, right? We're all, we're all natured differently. The elders, they were more emotional. They, they were crying and they were falling on his neck. So that's kind of the backdrop. So what I want to do is take this message. This could be easily preached at a seminary because it's directed towards elders, pastors, leaders. But what I want to do is draw the application bridge that even though this should be true of all pastors, this is also true by application for anyone that wants to live a generous life. So what I want to do is give you six generous thoughts about the generous life. And these generous thoughts have the potential to change your life if you apply them. Because I said at the beginning, who here wants to be generous? And everyone at least raised their hand out of obligation. We all want to be generous, but how? So first generous thought, the generous life is a godly example to those God places in your path. So in verses 17 through 19... We see how from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders. And basically, the elders, he basically shared his life. You guys know that I've lived a generous life. You guys know what type of leader I've been. So on your listening guide, I want to give you four examples under point one of from Paul's life and ministry that if you're in any type of leadership, and as I said, not just pastors and leaders, but if you own a business, if you're a father or mother, if you have a family... Um, if you're a single adult who aspires to be a leader, if you apply these, these will help you to be a better leader. The first example is the authentic leader. Paul says, you know, from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. So if you guys remember in Ephesus, Paul taught at the school of Tyrenius. You guys remember that? He taught there for about two years and... Basically, people had access to Paul. He was teaching. They could come and talk to him. He was there and they could challenge him. And the idea was Paul was an open book. He was an authentic leader. How many of you want a leader that you can't trust? Nobody, right? How many of you want a leader that's so guarded? They're like the Rock of Gibraltar. Nobody can ever get to them, never can have a conversation. Paul wasn't that way. He was authentic. He was an open book. The other leader, leader characteristic is Paul was a humble leader. How many of us enjoy arrogant people? Nobody, right? He says, he says, I serve the Lord with all humility, with many tears and many trials. So he was humble. The idea is if you're humble, you can avoid the stumble. If you guys remember, the reason why Lucifer fell from heaven was pride. And ever since then, the reason why many leaders fall, many great men and women fall... Is the right of pride. Pride goes before a fall. So he was authentic. He was humble. But he was also tested. Notice he says. With many tears and trials. It's been said that if a leader cannot be tested. He or she cannot be trusted. Right. Paul was. He was proven. He was battle proven. He'd been through battles. He had come out on the other side. But he was also practical. Notice. The next verse, he says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught publicly from house to house. So this brings up a question. What is the difference between preaching and teaching? Have you ever asked that question? A lot of people say that will preach. You know, I've been accused because I don't yell that I don't preach. They're like, he's a teacher. Is is that true? You have to yell to preach. How many of you think that's true? (laughs) No. So here's the difference. Preaching is telling others what to do by the authority of God's word. Teaching is telling others how to do it by the application of God's word. You may say that again. Preaching is telling others what to do by the authority of God's word. And teaching is telling others how to do it by the application of God's word. So in other words, preaching tells you what to do. Teaching tells you how to do it. So let's give you an example. I could challenge all of you who are married... On you need to be a better husband and wife. And God says you need to because of these five reasons. That's preaching. Teaching, on the other hand, tells you practical tips of how to do it. Like, gentlemen, it's probably a good thing if you're not taking your wife on a date to date your wife. You dated her before you're married. It's good to date her after you're married. And all the married women said? You ladies can thank me. That's teaching, right? So it's kind of frustrating when you go to a church and all you do is get preached to but then you don't know how to, right? It's bad to be preached to, but there's no how to. And Paul was the perfect blend. He preached, he told people what to do by the authority of God's Word, but he was a teacher and he told them how to do it. And by the way, this is a side note for all of our Bible students out there. Most of Paul's epistles, the first half is doctrine. Here's the preaching. And the last half of every epistle is what? The practical teaching. So that that makes for, for all of our teachers there, that makes for a good combo. You have preaching and you have teaching. You have doctrine and you have application. So Paul was the type of leader that he was an example and people could follow him. All right, the second generous thought, and I've got to go fast because we've got over 20 verses to cover. I know. Listen quickly. We'll get there. The generous life is a loving heart with an open hand. A loving heart with an open hand. Back at verse 20, Paul says, I kept back nothing... That was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you. So here's the idea. Paul says, listen, anything that was helpful, I didn't keep back. And the idea behind that is as a teacher, as a leader, you want the people to be equipped for success. You don't want anyone under your teaching, anyone under your leadership. For those of you who un- own companies, those of you are management, you want anyone under your leadership to be fully equipped for the task. So Paul says, I can't back nothing. And that's the thing. The goal of the Christian life is not just more information. The goal of the Christian life is not just to be a smart Christian, which we want you to be a smart Christian, but that's not the goal. The goal is God's glory and tell your story about how he changed you from death to life. So what we like to say at Arden is every song we sing, every lesson that we teach, every sermon that we preach... It's not just for information, but it's for transformation. Because if all you get is information, guess what? You become a smart Christian, but if you don't apply it, you become a hypocritical Christian. Ouch. Because if your level of knowledge exceeds your level of doing, in other words, if you know more than what you do, that's why the world says the church is full of hypocrites. Which, by the way, a side note, until you're perfect, there's always going to be a hypocrite gap. You're like, what is the hypocrite gap? Here's the hypocrite gap. When your level of knowledge surpasses your level of obedience, that's how big of a hypocrite you are. So if someone's a really big hypocrite, then that's why people say, i would never come to church because the church is full of what? And I say, well, hypocrites are welcome because this is the only place they can change is the church, right? As well as every other sinner. We are changed by God's grace. So here's the goal of sanctification. That's a big Bible word meaning being set apart is you want to close that gap. So right now... I may be this big of a hypocrite, but tomorrow I want to be this big. I want to shrink that gap. Because until you're perfect, your level of knowledge will always surpass your level of obedience, right? So next time someone uses that hypocrite speech, you say, guess what? You're a hypocrite, too. And you're like, what do you mean? Everywhere you go, there's hypocrites. When you go to the grocery store, there's hypocrites, right? When you go to the gym, there's hypocrites. How many people work out the way they should? I know I don't. When you go out to eat, how many people eat the way they should? I know I don't. So if your level of knowledge or passage or level of obedience, that means that you're what? Ouch. <laughs> I'm getting into preaching now, right? All right, let's get back to teaching. So here's the thing. So First 1 Corinthians 10.31, here's the goal. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? All for the glory of God. This is the verse I memorized in camp. It was a Christian camp. And that was like every time we ate, we said this verse. And this verse stuck with me because you look at Paul. He says, listen, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for God's glory, but I'm doing it to build into your life. So that's part of the generous life. All right. Third generous thought about the generous life. The generous life is shining light that points others towards faith in Christ. Notice in verse 21 what Paul says. He says, testifying to Jews... By the way, also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's goal was to win as many people as possible. Paul's goal was for people to be fully committed and fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And here's his two pronged message, both faith and repentance. Now, modern church, unfortunately, there was a lot of debate about can you have faith without repentance Can you believe without truly repenting? And according to Paul, the answer is no. Because you can't turn toward God unless you also turn from your sin. You can't have faith without... It's a a two-sided coin. So to separate faith with repentance, it's simply easy believism. And James says, listen, if you believe there's a God, guess what, you're doing pretty good. But Satan believes and he shudders. So just intellectual assent is not enough to save someone. Saving faith... When you believe in Jesus, you're also willing to do an about-face from your past life. And that's why so many people wrestle with debates. Are you once saved, always saved? And I saw someone that walked the aisle, but there was no life. Listen, if there's true faith, there's going to be true repentance. It's two sides of the same coin. So let me give you an analogy. And this is not directed at anyone in the church. I had to say that in the first service because we had someone that met the description. But imagine a 25-year-old young woman. She is so excited because she's met the man of her dreams. I mean, he is tall, dark, handsome, good looking guy, and she's so excited and she is fully committed, fully surrendered to this amazing hunk of a guy. There's just one problem. The guy that she likes is only half committed to her. He's only half surrendered to her. You know why? He's got another lady on the side. And here's the thing, isn't that a dilemma? This lady is willing to devote her whole life in marriage to this guy and he's only half committed because he still has an old flame. How many of you would sign up for that relationship? Said nobody ever, right? But don't we do that with God? We're like, yeah, I want to pray a prayer, walk the aisle, get baptized so I get the get out of hell free card, live with Jesus forever. It sounds pretty good. Streets of gold, sign me up. But you know what? I don't know if I fully want to surrender. I don't know if I want to give the totality of my life to God because that would mean... I may have to act a little different, live a little different. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't just half die for you, right? He didn't half die on the cross. Imagine if Jesus was said, you know what? The earth is kind of polluted and dirty. I'm only going to come halfway. I'm going to hover above the earth, but I'm not going to come down. I'm not going to die. What would that do for us? It wouldn't have worked, right? We needed a savior that was 100% committed Jesus came 100% down to earth, lived 100% perfect life for us, died a sacrificial death 100%, lived 100% for the glory of God. So guess what? In return, when we receive forgiveness and eternal life, we can say, God, because you are so gracious, I'm going to give my life back to you. I don't want to be a half committed Christian any longer. We find it really easy to be generous in accepting Jesus as Savior But when we find out he wants to be the Lord of our life, we're like, oh, I don't know about that. So let's uh, throw up James 4 and 5 on the screen. James deals with this in pretty blunt language. And this is not my language. This is his. (laughs) This is for someone that wants to be half committed to God. He says, you adulterous people. Ouch. Don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And do you not think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's in us to dwell? In other words, he wants us to be faithful. And we get this on relationships. If you are married in here or hope to be married one day, you don't want your spouse to be half committed. You don't want your spouse to say, you know, I'll be faithful 364 days, but I need one day as a freebie. I don't want you to know where I'm at, what I'm doing. I mean, we would be outraged, Right. So how do we think, thinking about a generous life? Jesus gave it all on the line. We see Paul giving it all on the line. And we're like, yeah, I I don't really want to surrender. If you want a generous life, it's the full surrender. It's pointing others towards this faith in Christ. In verse 24, he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why, Why could Paul say that? Because he had a fully devoted life. All right. Someone say generous life. Number four, fourth generous thought about the generous life. It's devoted to the well-being of those you love. Now, this is Paul speaking to the elders. He says, indeed, those you see now among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So Paul goes on to say about some excellent way to lead well and to love well. So this is on your listening guide. The first way to love well, Paul declares is to declare the whole truth. He says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, here's a side note. We are not against any biblical preaching. You know, if someone preaches a certain as long as it's biblical, that's the key. But the reason why we've chosen to go verse by verse through books of the Bible, not skipping hard passages, is our goal at Arden First, is for you to have the full counsel of God. Because here's the thing. I in my twenties I used to do a series four to six weeks, like here's the love month and and we did it and it was was fun it was biblical but i would skip the hard passages you know the 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 ones that would cause controversy let's let's not do it but when you go through books of the bible you know what you have to deal with every verse you have to deal with every hard concept and the reason why is you want people to have the full counsel of god so we have many in our church in the medical field and here's the thing Imagine, how many of you have been to see your doctor in the past year? Raise your hand. Doctor, checkup, most, most here. Others, you have a checkup coming up. Imagine if you went to the doctor, and God forbid, but they saw, saw cancer on the, on the screening, on the, on, on the imaging, they saw cancer. And they're like, you know what, I don't want to hurt their, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So you went on a year later, and the cancer grew and grew, but the doctor never said anything. Imagine if you had a broken bone, and you were experiencing pain but the doctor was like you know it's just it's just a little sore it'll get better take a little aspirin but your leg got worse and worse that would be considered malpractice right so in the church how dare we withhold truth from anybody to be truly loving you have to be truly truthful and to be truly truthful you have to declare all of God's word in a way that's loving It was one said of D.L. Moody. One of his friends said that, you know, one of the few people that can preach well about the subject of hell is D.L. Moody. Because whenever he preaches about hell, he preaches with a tear in his eye. So here's the thing. We're going to tell you the truth. We're always going to tell you the truth. We're always going to be under God's authority. But we're going to do it so in a way that's loving, not in a way that you feel beat up. We're going to do it with a heart of like we're doing this because we care It's kind of like a spiritual hospital. We we all need the great physician to make us whole again, right? But in order to do that, we have to be told the truth, even when it hurts. So to love well, you have to declare the whole truth. Second aspect, to love well, you have to lead and feed God's people. Notice he said, take heed yourselves and all the flock. The idea is that we as Christians are like sheep. And sometimes we have a tendency to do what? To go astray. So we need people to love us well, to lead us well. And to, to love well, we have to protect God's people. Because Paul said, after I'm gone, there's going to be coming wolves, raging wolves. And might I add, most of them are in sheep's clothing. So he said, you've got to protect the flock. So one of the hard things, just being vulnerable here as a pastor, is sometimes I have to say, listen, I, I'm glad you're listening to so-and-so online. But that person has false doctrine. And I don't like to be critical about people, but if you listen to that certain pastor, they're going to lead you astray. So that's where you have to warn sheep and you do that with each other, not just pastor with 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 church members. But we do with each other. Listen, that person is listen, they, they, they sound good, but there's a lot of false doctrine. We've got to be careful about that. And to love wells, have true empathy for the people of God. Notice read on in the scripture, he says, therefore, watch and remember for, for three years I did not cease to warn you day and night with tears. See, here's the idea. Paul didn't just share his life. He gave his life. There's more blessing in giving than in receiving. There's more blessing in giving than in receiving. All right, the fifth generous thought. And I know I'm going fast, so thank you for listening and hanging in. The generous life is all about adding value to others. Adding value to others. Notice in verse 32. He says, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. So here's here's the thought. You're either a plus or a minus in someone's life in their equation of their life. You're either adding to their life or you're taking away. Paul said, listen, I built you up. Another word we use for that. It starts with the letter E. Does anybody remember uh, edifier edification build up so what i want to encourage you is to add value to add value with to people's lives john maxwell if you look at the quote on your listening guide he said to add value to others you must first value others so now i'm going to switch from preacher mode to teaching mode okay add value that's good but how Alright? right you told us what to do now, Timothy, tell us how, right? How do we add value? That sounds very good and philosophical, but how? Well, I've, I've come up with 10 ways, just jotting them down. I wish I had more time to, to go into detail. But the first way to add value is take time to hear their story. 95% of people will tell you their story. There are a few people that are closed off and it takes a long time to get them to talk. You guys have been at dinner table, those type people. But majority of people, you say, hey, Brother, sister, so-and-so, tell me your story. I want to hear about a little bit about your life. Most people will tell. Ask them to tell you about their greatest struggles. They may not do that meeting one. It may be the third or fourth meeting. But people will open up and they'll talk about their scars. They'll talk about what's hurt them. Ask them to tell you about their greatest dreams. What keeps you up at night? What gives you passion? What makes your blood boil with anticipation? Find out what they're most passionate about and use that as an opportunity. Number five, to make a way for them to smile. So if you find out they're passionate about fishing, talk about fishing and then maybe send them a picture, text message of you fishing or, you know, find ways to enter into their world. And the goal, the end goal is to add value. Number six, put them on your prayer list and truly pray for them. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you said I'll pray for you and never did? I can raise my hand. So one one practical way is when someone asks you to pray, pray for them right then and there. Hey, do you mind if we pray right now? And another way is truly write it down on your prayer list so you don't forget. And here's here's, here's the thing. We talked about this on a small group lesson one day with a 30 and 40-year-old group. Is that if you forget to pray, obviously ask God to forgive you. But at the same time, go ahead and pray. Because God already knew you'd forget to pray. And he can, in his foreknowledge, he can know that you'd pray after the fact and he can still hear your prayer in advance because he's outside of time and eternity as we know it, right? God is, he, he, he's just amazing like that. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. So even if you forget, go ahead and pray because he already knew it in his foreknowledge. How many of you that hurt your mind thinking about? All right. Be authentic about your struggles. People open up when you open up. People share their struggles when you share yours. Seek to serve them in a way that would bring them closer to Jesus. And if you don't know what to do next for number 10, repeat steps one through nine. So that's just simple ways to add value to others. You must first value them. Paul was the master at this. He added value. He poured out his life. All right. Someone say the generous life. Last point. Congratulations. We've made it through like 25 verses together. Good job. The generous life is someone who is dearly loved and missed by many. So look at verse number 36. It says, when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. So you see Paul's humility here. They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they had accompanied him. They they took him to the ship. So here's the thing. Paul loved to the very end. So I want everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. I'm looking around. This is not the invitation, not the altar call. This is just a visualization. Hopefully this this event happens many, many years in the future, but with everyone's eyes closed, I want you to imagine this. It's your funeral. The church is starting to fill up with people that you see and you, you start to recognize people, people from your past. The music is beginning to play. People are beginning to write thoughts and memories about you in this guest book at the front of the church. So what are you feeling right now? Continue to visualize that with your eyes closed. The minister, he stands up and he gives personal remarks about your life. Two of your best friend, co- friends come up on stage and they begin to tell you about your life. What do you think they're going to say? What stories will they share? And imagine if you could address your loved ones. Just You're, you're there in the casket. Imagine if you could say anything to them right now. What would you say? All right, you can open your eyes. How many of you that was kind of weird? <laughs> I visual, what did you do at church today? Uh, I visualized my own death. <laughs> it's like, come on now. Well here's the thing. Uh, every time you go to a graveyard, I, I want to give you a new concept. The richest place in the world is not New York City. It's not the Taj Mahal. It's not the Vatican. It's not your uncle that has all the money. The richest place in the world is the graveyard. Because the graveyard represents lives. These are lives that were lived. And lives that were lived represent stories. And stories represent potential. So I want to encourage you that in the graveyard, when you go visit it, I want you to remember that in the graveyard there are books that were never written. There was love that was never given. There were hopes that were never fulfilled. There were dreams that never came true. There were cures to diseases that were never discovered. You see, the reason why is not everyone lives up to their full redemptive potential. And they end up in the graveyard only half-lived lives. But today, you can change the story. Today, you can change the narrative of your life. That God has called you to be a generous person. And because God so loved the world that he gave the greatest gift... Because you have received the greatest gift, from now on, let your life be where the riches are. Spiritual riches in Christ. So six major points. Let's throw them on the screen. The generous life is a godly example to those God has placed in your life. A generous life is a loving heart with an open hand. The generous life is shining the light that points others towards Jesus. It's about being devoted to the well-being of those you love. Paul said, shepherd the flock, care for them. It's about adding value to others. Remember Maxwell's quote, if you want to add value to others, you have to truly value others. And finally, it's someone who's going to be dearly and loved by many. Dearly loved and missed by many. So if we can summarize this into one idea, it's say something like this. More blessings come from what? Giving than from... Receiving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So your challenge as you leave is to live a generous life. And you're like, How? Well we've given you some so many options, but the idea is it's for God's glory and it's for building up others. Let us pray. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for speaking to us. Right now with no one looking around as we're in a spirit of prayer. How many would say, Pastor Timothy, I don't want all my potential to end up in the graveyard one day. I want to pour my life out as a sacrificial offering to God. I want to love well. I want to live well. I want to serve well. All for the glory of God. If that's you to slip up your hands. Father, you see all the hands going up. Forgive us where we haven't reached our full redemptive potential in Christ where we should have loved greater and we didn't, where there are people that we could have helped and we didn't, where there was a gospel message to share and we didn't share it. Forgive us. We're sorry. From this day forward, help us to live out the truth that there's more blessing in giving than in receiving. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today, in person, watching online, And you've seen the greatest story about the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave his life, his whole life, not half of it. But he came down to earth and he died in your place and for your sin. And if you've never surrendered your life to him today, it's it's faith. And because you have faith, there's repentance involved. So right where you're at, I want you to say this prayer just inside. You don't have to say it out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for my sins. I want to thank you for rising on the third day. And Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. I do believe the good news. And because I believe the good news, I turn to you in faith. And Jesus, because I turn to you in faith, I turn from my sin. Please forgive me. Please make me new. Please give me a pure heart. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen.